0: Hello, and welcome to the Learning and Development podcast, a podcast that explores L&D that works with those who are making it work. In this episode, I'm speaking with John Hinchliffe, Digital Learning Experience Manager at Emirates National Bank of Dubai, and highly regarded industry leader. So, without further ado, let's get into it. John. Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks a bunch for having me. Uh, So John, you're a prominent figure in the L&D profession and we'll have seen things changing over time. So how would you assess where we are and how far we've come? I think that's a really good question. Um, I've been in
1: L&D like 15 years now, starting out face-to-face training and then moving into digital. And bizarrely, I think everything and hardly anything has actually changed, Mm -hmm. which is a really weird statement to make. But when we really think about it, you know, we talk so much about buzzwords and the next big thing, but how many of us actually do it is... Mm mind-boggling. You know, when we think about how many organizations are still doing one-hour storyline courses that don't actually meet the need of their learner or the organization Mm. and actually then throw on top of that, that the learners are learning on their mobile and it's this frustratingly horrible experience. Mm. I think we focus so much on the get-rich-quick The buzzwords, you know, the AI is going to revolutionize everything. Great. Fantastic. But how many people are going beyond just making a few statements on chat GPT? Yeah. And it's, that's the interesting thing for me is how are we going from just being thinkers to more doers? Mm. And I think that's the shift that I really love going forward for where we want to be with learning is people being more about the practitionership and really asking the tough questions and being more conscious and mindful of the actual learning solution rather than just talking about the really fun stuff
0: because it's really, really easy. Mm. Yeah. And there's quite a lot to unpack there, John, considering that's the first question. (laughs) We might have to park what we planned. Um, But uh, um, uh, yeah, I recognize everything you're saying quite clearly and, but, but there's a paradox within there. And I think that, uh, that, that, paradoxes first of all on one side you've got uh, as you said everything's changed but nothing's changed and largely things don't change because uh, our stakeholders expect learning to be done a certain way Uh, that includes leaders managers and employees Uh, learning and development people especially vendors are skilled in a very particular skill set so when you ask for a solution from a trusted vendor it's gonna look and smell like the status quo uh, albeit different content and everybody's then looking for a blend but let's be really honest we were doing blended learning for decades so there's nothing new there but you know you know speaking to a to, um, uh, a, a, a fellow experienced L&D professional you know that when you're in learning and development and you built up credibility inside your organization then you get pulled into like from running and implementing programs, and your one-hour articulate, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, to actually solving problems, which comes with the credibility, which comes with a track record, which then gives you the permission to go on and do stuff. But, but you know, there, there's lots to unpack there. Into here, I'm going to choose my question: What, how come learning and development looks and smells so differently when you have the credibility inside an organization to the one when perhaps somebody is new to an organization? But you know, this is quite apt for you, just uh, just taking on your new role. I'd love to for you to tell us a little bit about that. But when you're new to it, and you're asked to either uh, build on or turn around an L and D function, the expectation is much, 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 much lower, which pe- perhaps does explain a lot of the why things haven't changed.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are some great points. My goodness, for a first question, we've gone deep. <laughs> but when we really think about it, you know for a lot of individuals coming into new roles or being in existing roles we have that focus on output rather than impact because output for so long has been ROI mm. for those listening on podcast quotation marks yeah. But really for us, it's, you know, that credibility is gained from how do we actually show value? How do we show that through data? How do we show that through feedback? and not just happy sheets, mm. but actually really delving deep in the beginning, what is the problem and what is the solution that's needed? Mm. Because just being told to do something and then doing it, if we related that to any other part of our life, that makes zero sense. Yes. If somebody said to you, hold this shelf, and we did it but we don't know why mm. it doesn't make any sense that's in the same way if somebody said we need a leadership course great i'm going to go build a leadership course without actually understanding what is needed what is the problem what is the answer to the question that is troubling you yeah and i think for so long we focused really heavily on how do we repackage output and how do we do it quicker mm. you know so how do we utilize chat gpt in order to produce the words quicker How do we utilize, you know, AI video in order to replace our production companies? Mm. But also we then have to take into account, how do we really solve those issues that the organization wants? And that's where we're building credibility. And I think, you know, especially for me, my stakeholders probably get sick of me asking so many questions. Mm. I'm two months into a new job and leading digital learning for one of the biggest banks in the UAE. Mm. And I ask so many questions because I need to know where are our people, where are they learning? How are they learning? What do they need to know and where do they need to access it? Where do they live digitally? Mm. And I need to take into consideration that I have somebody who is C-suite, but I also need to understand that there's somebody who is a teller at a bank that needs to know how to do a foreign exchange rate in a few seconds. Yeah. Where are they? What are they doing? What am I utilizing? And I think... For me as well, it's, yes, buzzwords are interesting, but it's how do you taste them and how do you really get an understanding of what's relevant? How do you connect the dots between what you're doing, what you need to do, what the organization needs and how that might fit in? And I think that's that's a real difference with L&D professionals.
0: Yeah, you've, uh, you've you've touched on something right at the beginning there that's really important. That uh, that that you or I wouldn't be speaking to a carpenter, a plumber, a lawyer, an accountant, uh, and telling them how to do their job. For goodness' sake, we we'd, we'd we'd be we'd be made to look foolish pretty pretty quickly. But about I've said it before that learning and development is a dance that everybody thinks that they know. But we're not waltzing across the floor here. We're not we're not grabbing a partner of tango in. with 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 dumbing it down to just requests we make it look like a conga line everybody just uh, has their arms on the person in front of them and kicks their leg every now and again right which of course people feel great doing it and they feel great in the immediate aftermath But nothing changes. No one's a skilled dancer. No one's going on Strictly Come Dancing Uh, for for international uh, listeners. uh, Insert your uh, your public dance competition of choice uh, with uh, within there. But uh, but but, 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 you know, to your point, let's not dumb it down. You know, you're you're asking questions because you've got um, uh, professional pride. Um, attached to what you're doing. And, you know, you said you're a couple of months into a, to a new role uh, in a new country. So you've got a lot on the line there, you, you know. So so asking the right questions is a, is a surefire way of, uh, of, of future-proofing your career there.
1: And I think, you know, you touched on something really great there, is everybody thinks that they can do it because for a lot of people, learning has been such a bad experience. Yeah, Literally, the main thing that they consider is learning was when you were back at school. Mm. And for the vast majority of us, that was somebody at the front telling us stuff for goodness me what six seven hours in a day you've not really taken on board a lot of stuff because you have so much going on in your mind there's so many easy distractions and for a lot of people that is learning and so they think well learning is terrible and i think that has a lot to do with people's public perception of l and d and then they get the same again. They get those bad experiences, those really terrible icebreaker questions at the beginning of face-to-face sessions, like, tell me two truths and a lie. How bad I don't? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get, you know, e-learning that is dry as a biscuit, that is yeah. forced upon you. And especially when you think about, like, refresher learning, mm-hmm. you know, once again, it's one hour every single year. Well, why not give me an adaptive piece of learning where I can do my test at the beginning and tell you that I actually know what I'm supposed to know and we can tick that box. Mm. I think there's so many things for us to unpack with regard to that. But <laughs> I think it is just that thing of, unfortunately, learning and the e-learning has had such a bad reputation that it's really hard for us to untaint ourselves with that brush. But I think yeah. it's us really being able to go into an organization and really understand mm. their problems. Being really consultative, mm. you know, and really understanding what it is that they need, and being able to then demonstrate and show quick small results mm. to really help them understand that we're there to help. We actually understand, and we prove that we actually have the chops. Mm. Because, like you said, everybody thinks that they can be a trainer.
0: Yeah, and 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 just to, just that to we, we we're just a few minutes in, and uh, we, we've all got already gone down this route. I think it's really important to state, say, John, that you know we talk like this cuz we care you know i've got a track record of uh, of 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 uh, as as the listener will know of taking my beginning my career in learning and development and thinking it was one thing but when it turned into the actual juicy consulting and uh, and uh, being tasked with making a meaningful difference. It became something else, and it was uh, incredibly rewarding. And this podcast has given me the opportunity to speak with many more people who have done exactly that. So, so I think that uh, that, that you and I will, will our frustration is born in of um, the perception by stakeholders that hasn't moved in line with perhaps our experience and our expectations. But I'd like to take us take you back because we've we've discussed it already. Uh, we were touched upon it already. That um, that in the con, but in the context of of uh, you wanting to explore what it means to to grow into uh, and join the learning and development profession. Back in the day, as you mentioned, you'd grow learning and development professionals in the classroom. It was almost like a greenhouse for learning and development professionals, and you you feed it delivery and design, uh, and and hence a trainer would grow. Um, but but and and of course, um, core facilitation and training delivery skills were the cornerstone of the skill set required for our profession but that's no longer the case is it uh, i think that we've we almost exhausted that as a as a way you know what was it einstein um uh, saying you know you you uh, continue to do the same thing and get the same results and i think we've burst through that but i'd love to to discuss with you what what some of those core skills are that uh, that you're seeing from from your experience uh which are different entry level roles into our profession than uh, than we would have seen before yeah and i think This is one of those areas that we
1: have seen change, Mm. which is really great. When we really think about e-learning and especially, you know, during COVID times, my goodness, weren't they a time three years ago, we saw a massive explosion of instructional designers, people wanting to come into the profession because instructional design became very attractive because it was seen as the easiest route. It was seen as the lowest hurdles to get over. And for a lot of people, they thought that instructional design was the only thing. Mm. But when we really think about it, a lot has changed in terms of how we're actually able to do learning. Mm. So when we think about the technology that is associated with what we can actually do, content curators, that's something that I've seen really grow. Because Mm. the fact is that organizations buy big libraries and there's some great content in there. But... You need somebody to be, actually make sense of them, be able to actually make congruent, sensible playlists, if you will. It's kind of like the difference between you go and Spotify and you hit shuffle compared to you have a dedicated playlist for your top songs of the year. It's that difference. One is just a sporadic piece of learning that you might get a little bit of tidbits within there that might help. But then you go for the proper playlist that actually just makes sense and it takes you on that journey. And mm. content curators is you know, something that's really, really growing, especially when you look at how many organizations are utilizing LXPs. Mm. It's really having somebody within there that understands how to filter, makes sense, but also understand the length of time that a piece of learning needs to be, not just putting together a four-hour piece mm. of learning. Mm. And curation is a skill. I've seen organizations do it terribly where they have, curated pieces of learning that never end because it goes off to another curated journey and another one and it takes nine hours Wow! but you know curation is one definite element but i think when we're talking about platforms also platform specialists mm. because buying a platform is 10% of your solution yeah you've got everything else to do there you've got the implementation within there you've also got setting up your people your communications within there you've got your content within there it's not just somewhere where your content is housed it's where your content lives yeah and really it's having people who become attuned to the different platforms now something people might say is well I'm out of work how on earth am I supposed to get you know in tune with an LMS if I've never touched one? There's free ones out there that you can play with and actually utilize that in your portfolio. Um, Thinkific, really basic, but really good LMS. Mm. Okay, you can actually show your journey of customizing that LMS, how you optimized it, how you took on board different elements, how you curated content, because you can curate from the open web. So YouTube, Harvard Business Review articles, everything and anything. Mm. So you can actually display what you know. And I think that's something that is becoming more and more prominent is... People being able to show what they know yeah and i really really love that i think also something that we have to touch on is you know marketing for learning yeah i've really seen organizations get on board with that because they understand and i think it's actually sinclair says it best if you build it they won't come yeah that's right damn kevin costner (laughs) they won't come but it is this thing of just because back in the day we used to create content and it all used to be mandatory Of course, you got learners because it was mandatory. Yeah. But now we're having to really speak to our people because they have so many different distractions and so many pulls on their time Mm. that we really need to think about. How do we entice them? How do we bring them value? But also, how do we get them where they are? Yeah. And how do we, something that I'm really focusing on the moment is, and this is probably called something else, but I've named it events of interest. So events of interest is marketing to people when they least expect that they need learning. Mm. So with regards to this, if you have internal job positions, you've got an internal job position that is open. And if somebody has been in the same position for, let's say, for example, 10 years, it's been forever since they've written their resume. It's been forever since they've had a job interview, possibly. So at the bottom of your job advertisement that's internal, you have a banner that says, you want to spruce up your resume and get the best skills possible mm-hmm. you click on that it takes you to a curated playlist that has how to write a killer resume how to sell yourself how to ask the right questions and that piece of learning has taken 10 minutes to curate mm-hmm. because you're using all your different resources but that then means that the person going into that interview is prepared Is going to have a great conversation, which helps them, which helps the interviewer, because being an interviewer is tricky as well, because you want to get the best information. And so those events of interest, really thinking about when and where do we need to really talk to our people Mm. and really give them the information that they need before they even think about the need in it. I also think kind of last ones on my mind, we are so fickle. As consumers, we really are. We expect Mm. a consumer-grade experience with everything. And when we think about internally user-generated content, we can be really picky with that. Mm. If the audio is off, if the lighting is off, we're really, really picky about that. So how do we have people internally who can help with that, who can provide Mm. guidance, who can do Zoom sessions with people and, you know, just tell them where to put the lighting, bring the microphone closer, but then also... Use something cheap and cheerful like Camtasia to put a front end, a back end on there, to Mm. do transcript, to repurpose maybe a 20 minute video into 10 two minute little blocks. All of a sudden you've got a great product from one product and you're really bringing value. And from something that was a free resource internally, Mm. you've now got a completely different style of learning. And so we've moved away from just the thinker, the storyboarder, the developer, to now really thinking about that ecosystem.
0: Mm.
1: So yeah, I mean it's it's changing. And then when you go above that, then you're into kind of data analysts, people Mm -hmm. really understanding what is going on with your learners, what's going on with your business. Yeah. Where's you know causation, correlation? What are the outcomes? Because like you said in the early you know, parts of this conversation, how do we really prove that we're bringing value? Yeah. And data, data is a fantastic way to do that.
0: Mm. I think that there's, there's so much great stuff uh, within there. And what, what really excites me, uh, both for uh, people coming through and the way the, the, the profession is evolving, but also how technology and generative AI can help is what it comes down to so much is knowing what to work on. Uh, I think for far too long uh, it was really it it seemed very easy to set up a learning and development department because you ensured you had a robust curricula that you had vast content suites in your LMS uh, and then all we needed to do was fix the learner really uh, because they just needed to be the self-directed learner that uh, that that was going to uh, rescue learning and development all those uh, all those years ago uh, but but the problem with that is that none of it solved a real problem and we were always you know it, it was never cheap to uh, to to buy platforms content and courses uh, but we were never able to 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 say that that our investment equated to any any particular outcome except satisfaction and uh nps really but but those aren't those aren't measures of uh, of success the, what you've just described there starting with uh with uh with data and analytics um uh moving on to marketing and understanding particular points of friction uh, i love your uh, uh, the the events that you described there um uh, again trying to pick up on people's primary reasons to want to engage in learning and development because we can at at, at our crudest um pin it all on either helping people to do the jobs better and faster and then linking that to improving our prospects because none of us are doing this for fun <laughs> like, yeah. right so none, none of us are doing you know you, you're, you're clearly uh, uh somewhere far more exotic than uh, than i am right now but uh, if we had all the money in the world john i'm not sure we'd be doing exactly the same thing um but what, what it comes down to is uh, rather than poo pooing in our uh, our profession here you know, it just comes down to that, that we've now we've got really busy um, target groups, employee bases that don't want to just sit and do the job. They're not not making time for uh, for training. But if we're not helping them today to to do the job better and faster and to get the recognition for that so that they can improve their prospects because they're being recognized or because there's another opportunity for them, then we are missing the trick. Uh, in learning and development, that's what I loved about uh, about that that little prompt. If uh, if you know that we could use generative AI, it doesn't have to be generative now, but I suppose it uh, it does help. Um, but to recognise how long someone's been in our organisation, are they performing at the required level or above? Is there an opportunity for them uh, that that's open within our organisation? Can we put up the guardrails to ensure that they're in the best possible position so that we can hire internally? Because I do believe, John, that if we are going to... Uh, um really fulfill our potential in learning and development and surely our measure of success is internal mobility we've got a skills gap for goodness sake we've got we've got uh, we've got people leaving our uh, our organizations whether it's baby boomers retiring uh generation younger generations don't want to stick around as long as previous generations do we've got the half-life of skills and also emerging skills which are which are gold dust in the marketplace that we that people are struggling to hire from and yet we've got a keen workforce who would, love to be doing something uh, perhaps more cutting edge or just something for a change. So what a brilliant opportunity for learning and development to grasp it.
1: I think you are so right. And I think this kind of brings me back to school days. Mm. Can you remember in school days when you had that one day in the year where you did something completely different? Yeah. Like when it was the run up to Christmas and it was like, you got to watch a Well, you got to watch a cassette tape yeah, that's that's kind of the age. The old <laughs> VHS. <laughs> they wheeled out the VHS. Um, for younger listeners, please Google VHS.
0: It's, it's quite <laughs> don't <stop> they, streaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was on demand. Yeah, but when we think about that, you know, especially when we talk about like gig economies, internal gig economies, mm. they make so much sense because you have you know, a captive audience that wants to taste things, that wants to do things, because I think also there's a level of safety there for your career in being able to taste. I talk about taste quite a lot with people because I I think it's super important, but you get to taste what a role is like before fully committing. It's like going on a first date Mm. with your potential new career rather than just going straight into marriage. Because if you start a new career and you think, I want to be an ex and then you actually get into it and you realize, I hate this. Mm. So I started my career in banking. I actually have a professional qualification for banking mm. and I hated it. Yeah, Absolutely hated it. I did it, you know, in university. And then I all of a sudden found out that I really like talking to people. Mm. And then that went into face-to-face training. And then that went into digital training. How fantastic it would have been to rather me be able to taste those little things and not waste three, six years doing something that wasn't quite right. Mm. But I think a really interesting thing, and I don't think it actually gets talked about enough, is the psychology within teams when Mm. we talk about gig economy. And what I mean by that is ownership of people. Managers' fear of not having ownership of people, giving people the ability to go to other units, other departments, and being comfortable that it's not going to negatively reflect on them mm. because i was chatting to somebody and they said my worry is what happens if half of my workforce that i look after go off and do other things am i am i going to get people thinking that i'm a horrible manager that people want to be in different departments and so it's it's really how do we put in that psychological safety for mm. people to be able to go out and try different things, but also be able to provide the support to business leaders and say, it's okay. You know, it's actually encouraged because you're going to push people out, but also you're going to get people in. Yeah. And so having that fluidity, I think there's so much work to do around that, but I think psychology is such a big thing because we've been drilled in for so long that I, as manager, need to own these people these are my people almost like a tribe yeah these are my people i i own them i'm responsible for them but you have to be able to let them leave the nest and do other things so i think there's so much work around that as well
0: yeah, yeah, there really is and not just at a team level, but an organisational level. John, we uh, we did some uh, uh, some research recently at 360 Learning, large sample size as well, three thousand six hundred respondents uh, from around the world. Uh, what it came back, and this was all around. Um, uh, trying to understand the approach to skills, what's working, what's the burning platform, and perhaps what the challenges are. And one of the major challenges was that the employees came back uh, and said, and well, two thirds of employees said that there was no career path for them. And I think that what's really crucial for that isn't that the that a promise is made to people but how can we expect people to take ownership of their learning if they don't know what that next step might look like and yeah okay it might not be a guarantee that we can make and they may, but we we do probably need to make some kind of offer whether it's options a b or c so that people know where to apply their development otherwise we've got 10 million pieces of content in our LMS. We've got access to ChatGPT. We've got access to the internet and YouTube and all these other things, Khan Academy, Udemy. We've got all of these brilliant things. But if we don't know what's next, is it any surprise to us that we're that in our organizations people are are deciding to look elsewhere because, you know, that that the trust is going to be broken. It's going to be eroded internally. If you're thinking, well, you're not showing me the next path, so do I, I? You know, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look at this on my own, and then, and then you've got your self-directed learner. You've got somebody who's who's taken ownership to go and look outside. But, but I th- I'm really excited with the way that that technology is going, especially with um uh, uh generative AI helping uh, to uh, create skills ontologies, keep those updated, keep them benchmark, have them benchmarked with what's going on outside the market, as well as internal scopes for roles that can then. Uh, help people to to align their current skill sets that develop transferable skill sets to to what you just described there uh, apply for something that that might just be one step ahead for them rather than a huge leap and obviously inside our organizations so that that we benefit from that motivation to learn but also that 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 will to progress
1: yeah i mean goodness me so many incredible things within that mm-hmm. and i think you know, you've hit so many points there, so many points. And I think it's that thing of we absolutely, we as humans, we as individuals know that career progression is good. Mm. We know that, you know, there is so much information out there. The fact is that every question you could really want is out there. You just Google, you YouTube, you go searching. Mm. But the fact is that us as LD are there to really guide you with the right answers, break through and filter the right things. We're almost like the New Year's resolutions. In that, we're there helping you focus on what is it you really want to do, making you realize, but then also providing the steps and really helping you Mm. keep to those. And how do we do that in the simplest, easiest form possible, where you are in a way that you like to consume, that Mm. builds habits? I mean, goodness me, it's not easy. Goodness me, it's like (laughs) a New Year's resolution. It's not easy. Yeah. but the more that we build in those habits and the more that we have success with those then you have a happier culture then you have more retention of staff which is a massive issue for people you know especially when we looked at you know the amount of people that were leaving organizations straight after covid mm. So it's how do we build positive cultures by actually retaining people and providing them with the stuff that is important to them. Mm. And I think that is absolutely critical. You know, we go beyond just delivering learning. We go into delivering a future. Yeah. And that's, that's a real game changer.
0: Yeah, that's the big picture stuff and i'm glad you've gone there john because it takes me on to the next part because because clearly there's a big opportunity uh with with the with employees who i believe feel underserved largely by uh by um uh, by the organizations for which we can play uh, a, a big role there but personally i'm i'm incredibly excited uh because i think that there's never been a better time to be in L D. number one we have the burning platform which is the large-scale skills gaps. And number two, we have the technology, uh, which is at hand that we can help us now. Uh, some vendors are, are, are rushing, as you know, to to incorporate uh, the, the the modern technology into it. But I think that, uh, that it's almost like an arms race um, that uh, that we can we as learning and development can f- finally uh, fulfil our potential. So my question then, uh, a bit of a leading one here, John, um, are you optimistic that we as a profession can grasp this opportunity and turn our spending, which uh, at latest figures, is above somewhere between 350 to $400 billion a year and turn that into actual results? No. Oh, <laughs> Interesting. Gosh. Should we just stop there or we'll do a second episode? Stop in a few there. Months? No. Stop there. The, the John, the John Hinchcliffe trial.
1: <laughs> All optimism aside, I have to be a realist. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And I think... You know, you and me have alluded to this within this conversation that we have a lot of passion and a lot of love for this industry. But the fact is we've also got quite a few battle scars Mm. along the way. And I've seen so many utopian beliefs and buzzwords and things along the way that keep on making us have hope that we spend an absolutely incredible amount of money. But how many of us are really, really looking at our learners, what our organizations need, Mm. and how many of us are still just ticking the box. And I think unless we can start really utilizing really advanced AI to look through our platforms and really understand what are our people consuming? What happens within their roles? What do they need? How do we provide them with the information that they need before they need it? Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely critical. So, you know, actually being able to look at the data and be able to understand somebody who is on this path, who performs in this particular level at this age range, who has, maybe it goes as deep as has a family, they are 67% more likely to want to become a manager. Mm -hmm. How do we tackle that before they move to another organization where they're going to be a manager?
0: Yeah.
1: I think forever, there is going to be a large number of organizations that are going to spend money to put a band aid over LD. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are going to be some great individuals and great organizations that are going to look to elevate their LD. It's not all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Don't break out the tissues, ladies and gentlemen. But it is that thing of, I think there is always going to be this thing of everything will change, not much will change. But I hope that there are going to be individuals within this industry that are actually going to inspire other people. I I love being inspired by others. And I think that, for me, is a massive thing of my career, mm. is being really open to looking at what others are doing and understanding how can I emulate that. Yeah. You know, I look at people like Josh Nobel. Josh Nobel, probably... The most underrated rock star mm. in this industry, hardly known, but what he did at Warner Music in creating invisible LD is biblical. Yeah. Okay, And it's something that I'm wanting to recreate. So it's being inspired by that. Mm-hmm. When you think about people who speak the most sense, you know, you look at like Niles mm-hmm. Nolan, Mandy Nolan, Lauren Niles Hoffman, mm-hmm. just being able to go through the smoke and mirrors of everything and actually just provide clarity as to what organizations should really do. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we can have positive clarity and actual best practice sharing, that will increase my hope level. Mm-hmm. However... All the while, while we focus on output over impact and we focus on buzzwords, there's always going to be that market for buying an LMS because your old one didn't perform. And two years later, you're back at learning technologies, buying an LMS because your old LMS doesn't work. Yeah. I think the more that we develop those careers of the people that support learning, not just the producers, but that support the ecosystem your content curators, your data analysts, your marketing for learning, that will help everything. And also, that will then inspire organizations to invest more.
0: Mm. So that's, you know, what was the figures like 300 billion? So it's 350 billion. And that figure was from uh, 2021. But it was projected to grow to 450 billion by 2028. So we've got to think that that's incremental. So yeah, so it's a figure now between 350 and 400 billion.
1: You know what's a few billion between friends but i think <laughs> it is this thing of if we get to the point whereby we're showing real value to organizations that lnd really does provide value it mm. helps retain staff but it also helps the organization with regard to its skills and its output then that number can go up to half a bill you know 600 mm. bill and so that's that's my take on it mm.
0: No, I think it's a, you're right. It's a very realistic view. If we were going to just uh, extrapolate from where we are, we would say that a few more people would be hanging their hat on efficacy rather than what you described, the old rip and replace of one, one house of content for another house of content. Uh, I think that we need to, to change the way we think about our role. Uh, we don't provide learning. Uh, our role isn't to make better learning. I think our role is to help people to do the jobs they're they're employed to do today, and help them improve their prospects for tomorrow. Linking that with the ambitions of the and requirements of the organisation, and we've got uh, a, a a healthy ecosystem in which we hire more from within because we we hang our hat on actually upskilling and reskilling our employees. But but we need to to uh, increase our. Um, uh, our own expectation on ourselves and our profession, in order to do so, because expecting the same things and doing the same stuff is going to to have us. really crazy? Yeah, it's going to drive us crazy. Yeah, and we, we you know, and you know, uh, we we should be looking over our shoulder with that and wondering when we're going to get found out. But the, well, the good news is, as you've uh, uh, pointed the way to there, uh, John, is that we speak to people all the time. I speak to people on this this uh, this podcast, people who have just said. I've had enough of stuff that I don't know whether it works, or I'm sure it doesn't work, and that I am going to hang my hat on uh, on on solving the problems that matter. So here's the here's the crunch question then, John. Uh, with this this podcast has been aimed at um, uh, people entering the profession, and I think we've uh, we've meandered in a uh, in a very entertaining uh, and uh, and interesting way. So if it all comes down to John, what advice would you give to a young John Hinchliffe? If he was standing out, uh, if he was starting out in L&D today?
1: Goodness me, a young John Hinchliff. He um, had oh, yeah, brilliant hair, I'll tell you that. He <laughs> <You> really did. <laughs> but for me, first things first, I would say, understand what people need. Mm. That's That's a biggie. Understand what people need, what the organization needs rather than what it wants. But also I think, you know, for personal development, try and get a mentor. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's one of the things that I've never had, you know, I've, I'm always self-taught every single system, every way of working, just trying, failing, fail again. Mm -hmm. I think getting a mentor would be absolutely fantastic, but I think, you know, and I've mentioned it so many times in this, but tasting, tasting so many things, tasting what, Is interesting tasting different pieces of software different methodologies you know and really trying to consume as much information but also looking at what information people are consuming that is actually getting good reviews Mm. you know when you think about like newsletters that are really really great like um offbeat offbeat Mm. newsletter from lavinia fantastic i wish there was that when i was growing up (laughs) but also i think it is Networking, networking mm. as much as possible. Networking without expectation
0: yeah. is
1: incredibly important. I think that is something that I've always tried to help people with. Um, I created a community during COVID mm. and that grew to 3,000 people, and people didn't pay a single thing for that. And it's like here in Dubai, I put on free events whereby people come together because you have people who are new to the profession just needing to talk to somebody, to understand. I'm hearing everybody say that AI is going to you know, take hold my job. No, it's not. It's not taking my job. It's not taking other people's jobs. So here's yeah. the reality. So I think, you know, young John himself, get a mentor, mm-hmm. network as much as possible, but taste as many things as possible and find out what really resonates with me. But also... Where can I connect the dots of what an organization needs? Mm.
0: And I think that that would be great career advice. And my word, where would he be now? <laughs> where would he be now? Well, hopefully he'd still be in Dubai. Um and uh, and in, and joining me on this uh, on this podcast here, John. Uh, because uh, you know, you, you have recently made the move. So I, I wish you well. Uh, and I'll give you an invitation back to uh, to tell us all about it and the great work you've been doing uh once you've got your uh, your feet under the uh, the desk there. Uh, but uh, but thank you, John. Uh, that's, that's great advice, and I'm sure that's uh, that's advice that uh, that that those making their, their their way in into the profession right now uh, will be taking as a result of that. But John, all's left for me to say is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning Development Podcast. Thank you so much. John wanted to speak about starting out in L and D, and he's clearly passionate about professionals starting out on the right footing. We have such a great opportunity in front of us with preparation and support for the next generation that could fulfill the potential of our function. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and thousands of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, You can tweet me at DavidInLearning and connect on LinkedIn. Again, you'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.